Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing Mystery 3, Mallory and the Ghost Cat. Wow. I forgot this was a mystery. <laughs> and then at one point, I think Mal literally says, what a mystery. And I had to do like a spit take. Like, oh, this is supposed to be a mystery book. <laughs> so when we recorded the previous episode, Emily, you were like, oh, now I'm excited when you heard the title of this book. Did it, did it live up to your expectations? No, but nothing ever does, so it's fine. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> oh, that that's not specific or unique to the VSC universe. No, I, I, that's why I said ouch. <laughs> <laughs> nothing ever does, especially my aunts. <laughs> joke, joke. Shall we attempt to summarize? Sure. Okay, I'll go first. Okay. Mallory rescues a cat from a babysitting charges attic, but then doesn't check for another when she keeps hearing meows. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. She's like, oh, there must be a real ghost here. I'm just not going to see if there's another cat trapped under the house somewhere. <laughs> a shorter version of my summary is Mallory hates cats. <laughs> uh, but she likes to pretend she's a horse. <laughs> I can't even. I love it so much. Okay. My my summary of the... I should have just focused on that part, but my summary of the book is dementia is sad and cats are ghosts. Hmm. Again, Esme just gets right to the point. Mm-hmm. Well, so, are the cats ghosts? <laughs> yes. Cats are ghosts. My one sentence summary is the mystery is where is the mystery? <laughs> I, I think, think you've done that three I, times for every I, mystery. I think that was your summary last time. <laughs> or I, a, a different one-sentence summary could be Jesse and Mallory like to pretend they're horses. That is the best one-sentence summary. Yeah. 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 A deep, dark secret. That's <laughs> such a secret. Yeah. So I would like to funny. actually um, reenact perhaps how how that might go in real life how much role-playing is going to be happening in this episode <laughs> a lot it's been a, it's been a while yeah, we, i've, I've been a horse this entire time so far <laughs> <laughs> meow <laughs> meow meow now are you rasputin or are you ghost cat or are you tinkerbell wow you didn't even read the babysitting chapters oh you're melody you're melody corman oh sorry meow <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Nay. Okay, wait, you guys. We should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Anna Chikawa, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. Meow. I'm Emily Crandall, <laughs> a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual, and I like health food. If you want to learn more meow about us and how we know each other, please check out our prologue episode. Also rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. One benefit, perk, uh, not a work perk, a regular perk, a good perk of being a patron <laughs> is that we prioritize your BSC big five. Priority being the operative word. Yes. <laughs> Please excuse us and, and thank you so much for your patronage. Uh, today we're doing Laura, a loyal patron and listener since summer 2020. All let's right. Give, let's give a big meow to Laura. 
Okay, so Laura, um, her BSA Big Five, let's, let's see what she has here. Okay, her relationship to school. She wasn't an honor student, but she got decent grades. However, was terrible in math. In middle school, she always wanted to be more of a leader and enjoyed being the center of attention. Later on in life, she became more of an interview and has a lot of social anxiety. Moving on to her fashion and style choices, she liked being creative with her outfits, loved wearing bright colors and painting her nails. I also, she also liked hats, vests, and friendship bracelets. Her parents refused to spend a lot of money on clothes, so she was usually only allowed to buy clothes from Sears. Classic. Mm-hmm. She Love was, a vest also. She was also small for her age, so was stuck buying clothes from the children's section for a long time. Occasionally as a treat, she got clothes from the store limited too, when it was oh, yeah. still popular. Remember that store? Totally. Your mom loved that store. Oh, here's the most important bit. The most important. <laughs> she didn't get her period until the end of ninth grade, almost 15. Oh, She also nice. always looked much younger than she really is, and she's extremely short. Like, how short? Well, she sent us a follow-up email at the end, okay. so um, five feet tall, exactly. Oh, okay. Um, did not date in middle school, however, had a series of crushes for as long as she can remember. Um, she did have one steady boyfriend her sophomore year of high school. Getting it's a lot of Marianne vibes. To have a crush at, a, at yeah. any given time, or one or several <laughs> crushes. <laughs> Emily's eyes are all shifty as she's Yeah. Saying. You guys don't have crushes? I know both of you do. Yeah, Emily's really into crushes. Well, I, love I don't leave my house, so I can't. Anne has a crush on, like, the, the doorknob. <laughs> her, <laughs> her neighbor's have a crush on someone on television. Her neighbor's hedge. <laughs> I mean, is it crushable? <laughs> it's the UPS fan. Okay. Uh, well, that's Hot. a classic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Micah has a crush on some delivery guy. Some del- I've, it's not UPS <laughs> or DHL, but it's some other delivery mm-hmm. service. And whenever he sees Micah, they're like besties. <laughs> oh. It's really funny. Okay. Her hobbies included reading, journaling, playing computer games. Lisa Frank, yeah. What, what? Listening to music and coloring. She was born in 1985. She still enjoys those things as an adult, except now she also loves listening to podcasts. Um, let's see, a little jump to present day. She's currently the president of the PTA at her son's elementary school, mostly because no one else wanted the job, and she had never led anything before. Important and, detail. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and also, only five feet tall. Okay, I get a little bit of Claude vibes with terrible at math, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think that might... And the like creativity, yeah, yeah, creativity with bright colors, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because you can be a Claude, you don't, you know, like you can only be a Stacy with a little bit of money, money. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you, you can, can be, be a Claude, Claude on a working store. family's, yeah. yeah, salary, yeah, totally. yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, so Marianne vibes too, I think, with like mm-hmm. physiologically and mm-hmm. <laughs> emotionally, you know. yeah. <laughs> Introvert anxiety, and then also mm-hmm. the um, late period, late yeah, but but not oh, you know, but that also it's... is Christy, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I think the 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 crushes though, that's like a little Marianne, but it's also I mean it's all of them, right? But especially 
I feel like Don and Stacy are the ones that get moony about crushes. Mm-hmm. But but Marianne was real into Cam Geary before Logan came on the scene. So true. Yeah. Uh, okay, so maybe the crush factor gives her like a little bit of everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like at least five percent. Five percent. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, okay. Good. Okay. Whoa. Okay. Um, I'm not getting much Jesse. No. Only reading. Yeah, she does reading. Reading. jokes. Yeah. She does not yeah. like to pretend she's a horse. So no, no Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I feel like the combo of reading journaling is a little mal. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, maybe like, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think Mal, Marianne, and Christy forward. Claudia. And then Claudia also. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then Jesse, Stacy, and Don are more in the background. Mm-hmm. Are they all 5%? Jesse, Stacy, Don. So who's in the lead of, of Christy, Claudia, and Marianne, and Mal? I think Marianne. Marianne. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe I'm getting kind of like a dead tie with. Mel, Christy, Claude. Oh, yeah. But not, but not like super, not like a super high percentage of, of yeah, I, either. Laura, Laura seems very balanced to me. Very well-rounded. Yes. <laughs> she is, she is uh, lots of the sitters. She is not mm-hmm. just like clearly one of them. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, well, I, I think, I think a little bit more Claudia than, well, I guess I'm just overweighing fashion, but fashion and bad at math. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. a little more Claudia. Yeah. I agree. Okay. So is Marianne the most or is Claudia the most? Marianne, a little more. Claudia, close second. And then Christy Mal, tied beneath. Okay. So like 50, 45, 40, 40? Yeah. And then 5% oh, yeah. everyone else. Okay. Anne, are you on board yeah, with that too? I'm with that. All right, Laura, there you go. You're very boom, well-rounded. Boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> you contain lovely qualities from all of the sitters. Thanks and the for most playing. important one, having crushes. Yeah. It's yes. a personality trait. Yeah, Emily, who do you have a crush on right now? Yeah. Uh, I don't have a crush on anyone right now, and it's really devastating. <laughs> like all the famous people you're no longer into? Yeah, I'm not into anyone famous. I see the same baristas all the time. I'm like, mm. ugh, I'm over you. Yeah. Yeah, I need to get a new one, though. I'm on it. Don't worry. Okay. I'll, re- I'll report back. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, there used to be like a really cute guy I would see on my commute, but I don't commute anymore. It's really sad. <laughs> Crush Watch 2022, you guys. We'll, we'll it's try, to, try to keep you posted. <laughs> um, do we want to do a quick run-through of the plot of this mystery? Yeah. Of this mystery? The mystery of this mystery? <laughs> this was the least mysterious mystery, for sure. So far, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, someone, someone yeah. do it. Uh, so, Mr. Pike's Uncle Joe who he has lovely fond memories from some sort of Andy Griffith idyllic childhood um, is going to come stay with the Pikes for about a month. So he's quite old, um, but he used to do magic tricks and take Mr. Pike fishing and tell funny stories and tell jokes. And Mr. Pike has told the kids a bunch about him, but for some reason they've never met him. Um, even though apparently he lives in Stony Brook He's been staying at Stony Brook Manor, and they wanted to give him a break from the nursing home, and so he comes to live with the Pikes for a month. I did not get the impression that he had always lived in Stony Brook. I got the impression that he had moved from somewhere else to To Stony Stony Brook Brook Manor. Manor. Okay. And that so they were like, well, why stay there when you could stay with us? That was my... Okay. I could be wrong. So that's sort of the A plot. There's really not much babysitter's club in this book. Like, we don't see the other girls much. There's, like, much. one meeting. Yeah. There's, like, and one, one meeting Christy or two. Yeah. And 
uh, and Claudia, you know, Mal seeks Claudia's counsel as an old person expert um, to sort of understand her Uncle Joe. And then yeah, Claudia does come over to help her babysit everyone else. Yeah, to babysit the Pikes. But it's a lot of time at the Pikes. And then, of course, new family. Um, <laughs> new temporary oh, nice. family, the Cranes, because their Aunt Bud broke her leg and so can't babysit for a while, but is their usual regular babysitter. Aunt Bud sounds like she'd hang out with Nanny in a few years. She rides a motorcycle and she's sassy. Um, coming up in my section. So. Okay, great. <laughs> Excellent. And um, so Mallory's sitting for these three little girls, the Cranes, and uh, and take it away. What's the what's the mystery of this mystery? The cat part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they hear some. Emily, please provide the sound effects. Meow. Wow, that was really good. Meow. Is Meow. Riley in the room with you? That is not my cat's name. Whoa. Oh, it is it? What is it? Oh. Ripley. Oh, Control alt delete. Control alt delete. Have you never seen Alien? <laughs> I don't know. Riley Ripley. Kind of similar. I feel pretty good about myself that I even got it in the right started with the right letter. You got five of the letters, right? Yeah. yeah. In in the right order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just left out one letter. Yeah. And I'm had, proud of you. If I had another try, if this was like Wordle, I would have gotten <laughs> I would have gotten to Ripley eventually. And at least two more guesses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they hear, you know, <clears throat> right? So they go up to the attic and they see this like fluffy, cute little cat. And white then, and mysterious. White and mysterious. And then was it? No. So then the mom, the parents come home and then later on they get it down from the attic and kind of put it in the laundry room. I, it's I, skittish. And, yeah. Yeah. But then. Let me. Okay. Oh, go ahead. So Mal hears a meowing when she's there the first time and asks the kids if they have a cat and they say no. And she doesn't say anything to the parents. And then the next time she hears a meow again, I'm like, how much time passed between those two babysitting incidents? How long was that cat alone in the attic? Yeah. Yeah, also, how did the cat get in the attic? They hypothesized from a tree. Yeah, cats are pretty cool. I feel like there's lots of ways a cat could get in an attic. Okay, but then, so they, like, try to adopt the cat, and then they find some mysterious papers in the attic, and there's this tale of an old man who's befriended by a cat and is reformed from his grouchy ways and then mal continues to hear meowing so she's like wait is this cat real or is this the cat from the the ancient papers and dawn does a ghost <laughs> test on the cat oh i forgot about yeah. the whole chapter of dawn's okay, ghost that was test. so bizarre yeah okay so bizarre yeah. and then mal here continues to hear meowing and she just says oh well i guess i'm just hearing meowing it's nice to have a mystery that's unsolved and then the book ends yeah and then yeah, it's like, was he a ghost? Was the cat a ghost? Was this even real? I expected We're, it to be all a dream at the end, to be honest. The ghost was the friendship <laughs> we made along the way. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, Emily, why don't you get started? What's What, what, okay. what little tidbits did you find? I have several little little nuggets in Excellent. this book. <laughs> Emily Nuggets. Great. Yeah. Um, okay, so the first one is that on like the first page, Mal's making dinner for the pikes, and she says that the artichokes are like a pike family favorite, but that they're like quite expensive, so they don't always get them. And so I was like, were artichokes more expensive like in 1992 than they 
have ever been. So I was trying to find some data on like, you know, the agricultural patterns of artichoke shipping. And I found that actually between 1992 and 1994, there were like a ton of like trend think pieces about artichokes. Ha! In particular, there's a long form piece in the New York Times from 1994, like tracing the the pun in the title is like getting at the heart of the artichoke or something like that. And it's this incredible article that has so much fun data in it, but like is also just a massive setup for like a couple ar- recipes for like how to eat artichokes. But nice. but apparently in 94 in Castorville, California, do you guys know where that is? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the biggest site of the production of American um, artichokes in, in all of, so like 98% of America's artichokes are grown in California right. and 75% of them are grown in Casterville, which Amazing. I feel like is a lot. Yeah. Um, and in 94, they had, they had like projected to ship 2.4 million cases. Wow. From the farms in Casterville. But 90 95% of the world's crops of artichoke grow in the Mediterranean basin. And Italy is like the single largest producer of artichokes. Interesting. They, like in 94, there were like over 150,000 acres of artichokes, but there's, it seems like in part, there was all this interest in it because people stopped eating them. And so they had all these like quotas to make in production that weren't being met by consumers. And so, which I think was a pattern. So I don't know if you guys know that Marilyn Monroe was cr- crowned the artichoke queen in like mm. 1949 Amazing. at like, this festival in Salinas Valley, and it, which was in part a publicity stunt to like to get, re- get Americans to eat artichokes. Yeah. Um, and like between the 49 and 94 harvests, American artichokes grew bigger and bigger and bigger uh, because Americans like to eat big things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think that like this renewed interest was also a bit of a publicity stunt. It seems like you think scholastic got that artichoke money. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean this 1994 think piece, but the, or this like, or maybe they did, frankly, I don't know. But I was trying to think about like, would, the Pikes have been eating artichokes because my initial thought was like, that's very California of them. It's super California. Yeah. Um, but it, artichokes are sold all around the United States all year round, even though they massively peak in production between March and May. So like, it's totally conceivable that the Pikes could be getting an artichoke anytime and that they would love them. But that I, what I don't know what time of year this book was written or this book is supposed to take place, but it is conceivable that they might be more expensive if it's not in the peak um, well, it's it should March take. To May season. It was just Valentine's Day in the last book, right? So this should be okay. March. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe but, they're about to come into season. Yeah, yeah. But so I have a theory about this. I think we've all had the experience of moving to New York and having meeting people who never ate artichokes before. Yeah. Um. Never. Like, so I like taught a lot of my grad school friends they're how like, to eat you can an artichoke. Eat those? Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so I think that they are more expensive on the East Coast than they are in California, right? Because of shipping costs and everything else. But, it's hard to tell exactly yeah. how much, though, because a lot of the data is cut at the national level. Mm. And so there's, like, national average for how... Right. For, like, trends in artichoke pricing over, like, 20 years. And they're relatively stable, in part because... I also tried to look up whether or not there was, like, an economic or um, an ecological or environmental impact for the the like scope and scale of how artichokes are produced and shipped mm-hmm. and they're like relatively they require relatively little compared yeah. to other things that are like exclusively that grown in California sense. and shipped it's a lot everywhere easier else in a peach yeah. yeah 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 and it's like cheaper to grow them than to buy them which yeah. is also an interesting data point but yeah i just thought it was um 
I don't know where Ellen Miles is from originally, but I'm assuming the East Coast also. I just thought it was either Ellen Miles or Anna Martin got into artichokes in her 30s and was like, oh, artichokes are good. Like, let's have the let's pike introduce, detail artichokes. Yeah, like, yeah. On, I loved on it. pike detail. Yeah. Well, um, also, also the popularity of kale is attributed to a PR firm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, I think it's, it's so funny yeah. that produce has PR reps. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, the, this article in 94 in the times also talked a lot about the production of chinar, which is the like Italian, uh, aperitif that's uses mm, like artichoke. aromatics from artichoke mm-hmm. and it has an artichoke on the label. And the uh, author of the article made this kind of quip about how it's a little too bitter for Americans. And I was like, that's funny because I think that's a massive difference between 94 and now, now it's like very popular and you'll see it in cocktails or like in fancy kind of bars. Um, and so I think it's like sort of gained a little bit of yep. prestige in the Micah American market. Micah has to keep bitters. Mm-hmm. You got to keep your bitters. You have to keep your after dinner drink for digestion. Yeah. Digestive. Anyway, I thought it was so funny that actually in the era that this book was written, there's a lot of like attention to the artichoke. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other food thing that's also a California thing is that when Claudia's over babysitting and uncle Joe, so Mal's mom, Mrs. Pike makes a lot of like bland food so that to not as, so as to not upset uncle Joe. And one of the days he kind of like when Mal and Claude are babysitting, he kind of like gets up from the table. He's like, I'm done with this nonsense. And so Mallory's like, fuck it. Let's go back to our old habits, open the fridge, eat whatever you want. And she says to Claudia, I'm going to make you a Mallory special. And she pulls out salsa, cheese, and flour burritos, which, by the way, did she mean tortillas? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But I was like, oh, she's going to make a quesadilla with salsa. Like, Mm -hmm. that is, like, the go-to just, like, people are standing around and everyone's hungry, but we're not going to make a meal food that is constantly Mm -hmm. circulating in our family. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. A thousand percent. And so I was like, is Ellen Miles from California? <laughs> I just looked or, it up. She is not. She is from New York she's City. She's not. That's yeah. so interesting. There's so much like California food in this book and way more realistic than any of the weird fake health food that Don eats. Tofu in not books. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why did you have to say that to me? <laughs> <laughs> it's my new pet name for you. Tofu apple nut loaf. Sorry. Okay. Another thing is that Mal spends the whole book reading A Wrinkle in Time and then passes it on to Jesse. And at the end, Jesse's like, by the way, I finished Wrinkle in Time. I loved it, which I loved all the that series all in all of Madeline Gell's books when I was a kid. I recently reread Wrinkle in Time because the film came out and Matt had never read it. My partner, Matt, had never read it as a kid. So I was like, you have to read this book. It was like so formative for me as a child. And it holds up. The book is really good. And I was looking to see if there was any like feminist criticism of the book. And what I found is actually a lot of criticism of the film that they kind of like dulled some of the like feminist sort of message of the, of the film, um, of the, of the book in part because it sort of like flattens her struggle to one about like self-confidence vis-a-vis appearance. And I read a couple articles that were criticizing the film's portrayal of Meg as a kind of deferential, like forgiving of the male figure in my life for hurting me at like the sort of self sublimation kind of feminine trope, um, which is like not the role she plays in the book. And I know I watched the movie, but I, I don't remember having that criticism of it at the time, but I'd be curious now to go back and watch it again with that, that angle. 
and like having consumed both a little closer together, I think would also be an interesting comparison. But I, I thought it was interesting that that, that a criticism of the movie is that it's not as feminist as the book. And it makes sense that that would be a book that Mal and Jesse were passing back and forth. Cause I don't right? think it's a book that's too young for the other babysitters at 13 mm-hmm. at all. Like I, yeah. th- she could have easily been like, Hey, everyone in the club read this. It's fantastic. But that we know that they're little kind of budding feminists who don't mm-hmm. care about the little Miss Stony Brook pageant. I, it seems yep. so appropriate to me that they were like passing yeah. that book back and forth. That's awesome. Um, should I keep going? Yeah. Okay. I think so. so the other thing is that one of the things they find in the attic at the babysitting house is um, a dressmaker's dummy with a tiny waist, which Mal remarks upon, which I thought was interesting. And I was thinking about like the history of the of the small waist and the history of the corset. And the corset is super old. It like predates Christ by a really long time, but wow. it has, <laughs> but it has like a, fulfilled a bunch of different functions, and it wasn't always a kind of icon of femininity that really began with like what we think of now as that, that kind of um, archetype of a, of a corset that requires the lacing and really, really narrows the waist is a function of the, or a feature, an out, an outcome of a, what do you call it? An an item? I don't know. Something of the Victorian era. Um, So like not so old, but it's had a resurgence in fashion, not with the tight lacing bit without that. So the like the the silhouette without the restrictive kind of bone crushing um physiological side effects that that have been like <laughs> a, a a target for feminist criticism for for quite a long time. So I thought it was interesting that there's just like this dummy but also that Mal remarks on the tiny waist is kind of interesting. I don't think we're supposed to learn anything from that remark, but any thoughts on the oh, corset? It's just Victorian like you were about to say something yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I was just thinking if I had ever worn a corset before, and the answer is no, because why would I? Because it sounds really <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> and restricts my eating. So no. Yeah, I mean it's hard to wear even high waisted jeans when you're trying to eat a big meal. <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah, I will not wear high waisted jeans out to dinner. That's for sure. <laughs> Once we went out to dinner with Micah and his sister, and in, in New York and. We like it was actually in Williamsburg. It was some Brazilian restaurant, but it was very hot and steamy in there. And like the chairs were kind of like not really chairs; they were low to the ground and kind of like stools. So she was wearing high waisted jeans, and she was like, "I I, I can't be here. We gotta get out of here." <laughs> so we like because she was so I uncomfortable. So we left <laughs> the corset. Yeah, in a different era. Um, okay, my last thing is about Aunt Bud. Aunt Bud. And buds. Mm-hmm. So she's the sister of the father of the the three girls that Mal is babysitting kind of long term. And the reason Mal is babysitting them long term is because their aunt, who's their typical caregiver, has broken her leg. And so she can't babysit them for a while while she's healing. And the girls are like gushing about her and they're like, she rides a motorcycle. And Mal does this kind of like daydream of Aunt Bud as this like badass, like tattoo covered leather jacket wearing woman. And I was like, Oh, is this the little, like the little like lesbian gay kind of tease that we're getting from, but but Anna Martin didn't write this one, but still I was like that image of the kind of dyke on bike would have been totally in the zeitgeist at least. Um, and Mal might have had access to that as like an asso- a, a, that association of like lesbian woman, particularly who um, 
perform butchness as a, and their association with motorcycles, which like way predates the 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 emergence of the formal kind of dikes on bikes organization. Do, do you guys know what that is? Yeah, um, which started in San Francisco Pride in the seventies. Um, but it's also interesting that this book came out in 92 because Leslie, Leslie Feinberg wrote Stone Butch Blues in 93. It was first published in 93, which is a, a book, a novel written by um, a really well-known transgender like scholar and, and activist and writer who wrote this amazing novel that tracks a, a like butch character grappling with their gender identity through the 50s, like into the um, kind of you know, gay liberation movement. And one of the recurring kind of safe spaces for these butch women who don't feel at home in their, in their, you know, their own homes and their own bodies is like the freedom that comes with the ability to move through the world on a motorcycle. And I think there's a real kind of affiliation with it as a, as a, um, like a, something that creates community, but also that metaphor of kind of like your, your ability to move through the world when you're not legible as one or the other is really restricted. And so the kind of freedom of movement that the motorcycle represents is I think this really lovely kind of, um, I don't know, portrayal of what it's like to, to carve out spaces for sort of joy and, and creative expression in a world that like vehemently doesn't want you to exist or doesn't want to see you existing, right? Doesn't yeah. want to look at you. So I just loved that that was where Mal's mind went, like imagining this maybe kind of butch lesbian mm. uh, in a leather jacket on a motorcycle. And that just was very special to me. So <laughs> I've, that's really interesting. I've never thought about that before that like when you see somebody go by in a helmet on a motorcycle, it is usually not obvious what their gender presentation mm -hmm. is yeah. um, and how freeing that could be. That's really mm -hmm. cool. That's really cool. So Ann Bud's real name is Ellen, right? Mm -hmm. Which is Ellen Miles. And, and in my, in my stocking of Ellen Miles that I'm doing during this episode, um, she's the baby of the family with an older brother and an older sister. And she doesn't have any kids, but has three amazing nieces and lots of young friends. Oh, amazing. So, I wonder if those crane girls are. Did you find a photo of her riding a motorcycle with an artichoke and a cat? I didn't. Uh, <laughs> that and I did quesadilla with salsa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I didn't find. But okay, one last thing, and then I will be quiet. Um, Mal several times in this book uh, touts the virtues of distraction as like a babysitting tactic. So mm -hmm. I was wondering whether she's right about that and like whether that's anecdotally right or backed with evidence. <laughs> Fantastic. So remind me a little bit, what a nice transition. Um, the, you know, she just does it to like get out of jams, right? Like it's not a um, bunch of times. Yeah. yeah. Like the mom is leaving and the kid starts crying and she's like, look at my kid kit or, yeah. um, let, what if we bake cookies? And, but she keeps, they, they often do that, but uh, like, in this book, she's distraction. Keeps, yeah. In this book, she keeps say, reiterating how important mm -hmm. distraction is and how well it works, yeah. know, which I thought was so funny. Yeah. So I don't, I didn't look up any studies on it, obviously, prior to this, because I didn't know you were going to ask me this question. I will say that it definitely holds up anecdotally. And that especially with younger kids, because the cranes are really little. Yeah. They're like six, four and two or something. Um, yeah. You know, little. little kids have little attention spans um, and their emotions are big, but they tend to peak quickly and move on quickly as well. Um, so at average, you know, not every kid, obviously people have different emotional timelines and 
um, you know, having a slower return to baseline can lead to different problems later. There's, you know, uh, but on average, most little kids have big emotions that go away quickly as well. And so um, distraction, I would say, works particularly well in situations with normative emotional responses, right? So a two-year-old is like, wait, I want mommy. Nah. But knows, has the experience of mommy coming back, knows that she's not really in danger, right? Like if, if um, now I can't remember a single crane kid's name, but uh, Margaret, you know, yeah. um, if Margaret or Katie fell out of a tree being like, look at my kid kit, wouldn't work, right? Right. <laughs> um, and, wouldn't, and, and wouldn't be appropriate. But mm-hmm. if it's sort of normative disappointment or normative transition sadness, things like that, um, or like in the Pike house, right? Nikki and Margot getting into a spat about something like they probably do a hundred times a week. Like in those situations, it's going to work really well. Um, but it's not going to work with like real crises or very big emotions. Mm. Somehow is partially right. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> it is a great babysitting tactic. Um, and one that I have used very frequently in my work with children across my lifespan. Um, Yeah. Beautiful. Any comments on anything's anything I've shared so far? I mean, I love it all. It's been a while since we've had just like a a twenty piece Emily Nuggets. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought you know the artichoke thing. Who knew Mallory liked artichokes? That was to me the biggest takeaway from this book. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest mystery. How did well, the pikes? How did the pikes come to all love artichokes? <laughs> it's also further proof that all three of us are Mallory. Um, just saying, like, gotta add that on. Um, Fair enough. So the main non babysitting plot of this book is Uncle Joe coming to live with the pikes, and um, this is a case of um, Anna Martin, with the help of Ellen Miles, laying out, uh, you know things that are hard for little kids to understand and helping them understand it in the way we've seen her do with cancer or the way we've seen her do with deafness and with many other things across the series. So Uncle Joe moves in. He starts doing lots of weird things. He, quote, doesn't bother to learn the kids' names, which I'm like, come on, there are a lot of you. Like, even yeah. in, if we didn't later find out that Uncle Joe has Alzheimer's yeah. disease. And three of them are identical triplets. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Good point, Anne. I didn't even think about that. Like, I would give up immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you. What, Adam Byron Which Jordan. Which one are you? Yeah. <laughs> you. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but the Pike kids are very um, sincere and excited to get to know this important figure to Mr. Pike and then pretty disappointed when he's kind of quiet and a little negative and sometimes a little rude. Um, and I, I think they did a good job. Um, you know, ultimately this was a little hard for me to read as, as you both know, I am caring for my father who is 95 and who does not have Alzheimer's, but has some dementia, um, and is living in Stony Brook Manor. Um, so I was like, (laughs) oh, great. This is a wonderful escape this week. Um, as the babysitters club always is. Um, and I thought they did a really nice job um, explaining things in an age appropriate way. I continue to like the Pikes as parents, Mm -hmm. I think they did a nice job being open with the kids. I think, unfortunately, still in the 80s and 90s, a common thing to do was to sort of not acknowledge that, Mm -hmm. you know, your elderly relative was different um, and kind of leave kids confused and scared. Um, So I think they did a really nice job 
talking about things and explaining it and showing kind of the different developmental level. Like they tell Mallory a lot more than they tell Claire and Margot, um, but they do get the whole family kind of involved. I was a little so, yeah. worried that like the lesson was going to be as long as you're really nice to your old elderly relative with dementia, they'll get better. Because yeah. um, he does eventually, you know, like grow to be fond of them and enjoy their company. But I think I think they did a really good job of emphasizing that there are good days and bad days. And like part of his discomfort there wasn't just the dementia. It was like the change in routine and the drastically different setting from what he was used to. So I was really, I was nervous that that wasn't going to come and that he was going to like get better, <laughs> Yeah, you know, in a way that it seemed to me like it wouldn't have been helpful for kids who are um, dealing with, you know, relatives who, who have a variety of issues that, that circle around yeah. Alzheimer's. So yeah, I, I really liked that emphasis. Yeah. They did a really nice job even when they, they so, so spoiler, it doesn't work out for him living at the Pikes. I feel like it wouldn't work out for most people living at the Pikes. <laughs> like, nope. Anne would, Anne would die within three days of living at the Pikes house. Um, and so he goes back to Stony Brook Manor, but they all go visit him and they get to eat with him in the dining room there. And as they're leaving, one of the nurses says, um, smiles at the Pikes and says, he's a deer on his good days anyway. Um, and sort of, they do a nice job of continuing to drop the breadcrumbs of like, this is up and down. This is a progressive disease. This is, you don't really know what you're going to get. It's hard. And also of showing Mr. Pike's emotions of like the, the difference between this, you know, beloved uncle, lots of, lots of good uncle and aunt content in this book, mm-hmm. like yay for aunts and uncles. Um, but his relationship with him as a kid versus him now and kind of showing glimpse of, uh, glimpses of his sadness as well, which I think mm-hmm. they did a nice job with. I agree. Yeah. I was like, oh, look, it's Mr. Pike. Haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's a dad, so. <laughs> yeah. But we got more of him in this one. It was good. Yeah. It was good to see yeah. him. No no, daddy stew. Yeah, but... no daddy stew. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. I and had forgotten you, about that. You, when we were talking before we got on, you said you had a you had a neighbor who had dementia oh, when you were young. Actually, both you of out. my both of our neighbors did. We were, we were flanked by two um, elderly people who lived alone. Um, Ooh, yeah. So on one side, she Wanda did have a neighbor kind of basically become her caretaker. But Mr. Lawson on the other side didn't really have anyone. But, you know, it was just that thing. It was always very nice. But he was, I think, what scared me as a kid, and this is like when I was probably six-ish, that it was just like unpredictable was the was mm-hmm. the most like scary part I remember. Like I didn't know what he was going to be on what day. Like was he going to be really remember me and be like really friendly or was he going to be like kind of like – irritated at me you know so i'm sure that's what is a very normal response for yeah yeah that's so interesting though because that right as you're talking it strikes me that you couldn't this the setting the best setting in the bsc universe for this is the pikes because you get the story told through level-headed practical mal but you get to see claire and margot who are five and six being scared right? Like crying in the middle of the night because they're confused when they get up to go to the bathroom or whatever. So you get like the full range of kid reactions, but told through Mallory trying to make, be the peacemaker and make everyone okay with it. I think that's very clever. It's very clever. 
What did you guys think of the fact that um, Nikki was the first one to kind of break through to the old Uncle Joe? I mean, good for Nikki. (laughs) (laughs) Nikki needs a win. (laughs) Right. That's what I was thinking, too. I was also wondering, like, does Nikki look the most like young Mr. Pike? Mm. Like... Is it, you know, it's less likely to be one of the girls. And or he's also the odd confusing. the odd one out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. They've got a little connection there. Yeah. Well it's done kind of a, and, and kind yeah. of a bummer. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There was definitely an interesting, like, we got our, like, the plots were very, uh, there was Ghost Cat and then Uncle was Alzheimer. So. Well, but the parallel is... Kennedy Graham, right? The lonely old man from the letters in the attic. Yeah. So that's that's the point is that Kennedy Graham was like Uncle Joe until he met his cat. The, oh, the cat. What was his um, cat's name? Tinker. Tinker, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why they the the Cranes eventually named their cat Tinkerbell. Yeah. yeah. Cute. 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 All right, Anne, lighten this up. This is well, why I began us with quesadillas and dykes on yeah, bikes. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. We'll, do, we'll start high and we'll end high again, I hope. Yeah. Well, just to, I just have a few nuggets. Um, first, I really want to dig deeper into this horseplay. <laughs> so I'll just, it's just a short, it's like a one sentence thing in the book, but let's, let's talk about it. Okay. Um, okay. My best friend, Jesse Ramsey, and I sometimes pretend we're horses. Then the parenthetical is, this is a deep, dark secret. So what do you, what are you imagining here? I, I want to hear from you guys first, because I have lots of child psychologist thoughts. Oh, well, I mean, there's, they could be like playing out scenes in one of their horse books. Or, mm-hmm. but I, I'm more curious if they're taking on the physicality of being a horse. If they're like galloping about. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, have you seen those like videos of people like running like horses? Uh, okay. I'll, I'll no. link you guys to it later. Okay. But they like yeah, jump over things and notes. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did. Someone sent me a link today that there's. A thing where if you go on vacation to Iceland, you can set a horse to set to be your um, uh, out of office on your email, and it's like a specific horse that does videos for you. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I don't know. Just a lot of weird horse stuff today. <laughs> uh, so I mean, yeah, I, I'm not. I mean, I figure it's a secret. They're doing it in one of their rooms. And I like, or are they? No, I think it's just a secret from the cool older girls. Uh, I don't know okay. that they're doing it in a secret place. I think they just would never tell. It's got like it's got really like dark. No, don't say it. It's not, <laughs> Mallory says it's dark. I, yeah. you know, well, I think of the three of us. I don't. None of the three of but us. We was play like, horses. Yeah, but no, really though. <laughs> I think of the none of the three of us was a true horse girl growing up, but I think oh, no. I was probably the closest because yeah, I read I, all the Misty of Chincoteague books and I had a bunch of briar horses. I had no interest in horses. Yeah, no, I liked horses. Remember, I had all those briar yeah, horses. Yeah, you like horses. Yeah, and then my um, friend around the corner, Jocelyn Friedman, yeah. and I would play horses. She was more of a horse girl than me. Um, so I think that 
I, I think we were younger, but I, she was a little older than me too. So maybe it was her deep, dark secret. She was like 10 or 11 and I was nine. But I remember like galloping around the park, but it was just on two legs. But you kind of like, you know, <laughs> put your hands up like you're galloping. <laughs> I think there's a lot of freedom associated with horses. It's just like... A motorcycle also? Yeah, or exactly. It's like... No one knows what gender I am. I'm just a I horse. I just look like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So that answers my question. Moving on. Emily, do you have any thoughts? I, no. <laughs> I. Why did I love this line, though? Why did I love this line? You guys tell me. About the horses? Yeah. I wrote it. I like put like little stars around it. Why you liked it? Yeah. So I'm Esme, and I'm thinking why I like this line. Yeah. <laughs> What's the line again? Can you feed it to me? My best friend, Jesse Ramsey, and I sometimes pretend we're horses. And? And this, this is, is a, a deep, deep dark, dark secret. secret. No idea. sound like a quote from something? No, it's not, a, it's not a complicated reason why I love it. I just, no. I think this is the, this is the genius of uh, the transition universe. period yeah back yeah. to yeah. the transition right this is that like they've got you know the Ugh, being 11 is answer yeah, yeah. it was simple it was right in front of you you know being 11 is a real trial you know mm-hmm. our, I was thinking about horses too much yeah <laughs> even though we're the eldest our parents think we're babies right but it could just as easily be yeah Emily you got it Emily's got her hooves out in front of her um it, it could just as easily be you know sometimes my best friend Jesse Ramsey and I play with Care Bears or sometimes my Jesse, my best friend Jesse and Ramsey and I play with our American Girl doll. Like it, like it could be mm-hmm. anything that is the trappings of childhood. They just happen to be horse kids, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the like, I I still do this childish thing when I kind of want to be a teenager, like the older girls. But I also still like this childish, like thing. playing horses, yeah. yeah, with my best friend. Exactly, yeah. and the fact that she and Jesse are close enough that they can do that together, I feel like is like a very sweet says something very sweet about their friendship. Okay. Okay. I like that. Good answer. Good Thank answer. You. Thank you. Okay. Good answer. Yeah. So another thing is, okay, on page 31, they're talking about making artwork for Uncle Joe. And I was wondering, so the triplets each give a different answer of what they're going to draw. And if we can, you know, come to like any, draw any of their personality by their answers. Okay. <laughs> so science. Yeah. So Byron says I'm going to draw Leonardo fighting Shredder. Mhm. Adam says I'm going to draw Calvin and Hobbes. Mhm. And Jordan says I'm going to draw a picture of Uncle Joe. Oh. Okay, so as we put your PhD to work. <laughs> I think uh Emily would be better uh Emily's read a lot more Freud and you know Lacan and other things like that than I have. I like, mm. okay. Let's see. Well, how much does Mr. Joe look just like Jordan and not really like Uncle Joe? Mm. You know, then maybe like Jordan's kind of stuck in the mirror stage. You know, mm. okay. I like <laughs> this. Really, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Byron's gay. We already know this. <laughs> So that's why that's he canon. likes to draw the teenage Teenage Ninja Turtles. 
Yeah. Oh, wait, I thought it was the other way around. No. (laughs) I mean, both the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Calvin and Hobbes are both soups gay. It's fine. Pretty gay. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Freud would say. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Okay. I think, I think, so, I think it's a scale of like, (laughs) and narcissistic. (laughs) Gay, gay, narcissist. Cool. Okay. Solve that one. Check. Horses check. Gay, gay, narcissist check. Um, Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Can I tell you guys a, an uh-huh. interpreting drawing story? You know, so Gar- Gary and I got our PhDs around New York where p- a lot of people are super psychodynamic and not very um, not very evidence-based. We we went to a very evidence-based program, but a lot of other places where we got training did not. And he had this one supervisor when he was on internship in the Bronx and a kid had drawn a picture and um, the supervisor was like, oh, well, look at look here. I think Emily might've heard this story before, but like, look at all this anger. Look, look how spiky the hair is. And like, this kid is very angry at many people in the world. And it was like a very good drawing of the guy from Yu-Gi-Oh with the like Mm -hmm. (laughs) spiky hair. Yeah. He's like a really good artist. (laughs) Yeah. The kid was just like a really good artist. And like the supervisor didn't know what Yu-Gi-Oh looked like. (laughs) Jerry was like, yeah, this is just Yu-Gi-Oh. Like it, like here, I'll show you a picture. It's like, it's really funny. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. What else, Anne? Okay. So, oh, well, Nikki wears a Dick Tracy shirt. Mm -hmm. Sure. Which, so, you know, Dick Tracy came in 1990 and it had. That's the mystery. That's the mystery. Why is he wearing a Dick Tracy shirt? Um, it had like a huge marketing push, like oh, yeah. really, really, really big. And the movie was only I I've seen it a couple times as an adult, and it's very strange and grotesque. Um, and it isn't that good, but it looks really cool. But it reminded me of uh, a Dick Tracy related story Micah has when he was a little kid in Florida. So his mom used to drag him to a bunch of like garage sales and antique shows and stuff. And he would always just look for toys. And so there was, he went to this, you know, I think just like a guard sale one day of some collector. And there was like a, there was all these action figures. And as a little kid, because like cool action figures. And he just like really wanted a toy. And he's like, cool, Dick Tracy. And it was like an unopened action figure in a blister pack, you know. And he was like, hey, mister, how much does this cost? And the guy was like, whoa, 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 be careful with that. He's like, that's $200. And Micah's like, what? So apparently Madonna was in the movie. She played Breathless. and um, But she was also the character of the Blink. So, you know, it was like revealed. It was a, kind of like a plot twist. Like you couldn't see her face in this Blink costume. But this toy that like, I guess a Canadian toy manufacturer, um, it was a, it was a action figure of the Blink. And then on the back, it revealed that it was Madonna. But this was like before the movie came out. So actually they had to recall all of those toys. Huh. And you can still find some of them, but they're but they're, they're really expensive. expensive. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So weird. Yep. And then my last question for you guys is so when um they like switch plans for dinner at the Pikes. They talk like Claudia's like making fun of like, well, what are you guys gonna eat? And she gives I would like to know which one would which one would you eat? So there's <laughs> okay. fried bologna and sardine sandwiches, mm-hmm. cheese and omelets, 
or yeah. spaghetti with chocolate sauce. The first one. Cheese yeah. omelet. Huh. Spaghetti with chocolate sauce. Really? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I just wanted to make it like we each chose a different one. But I don't think I would actually choose that. Um, I would probably choose despite... I mean, I am... I don't eat meat. So the bologna would be an issue. Mm-hmm. I think bologna and sardines sounds like the best pairing. Agreed. But I don't like either of those things. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would probably eat the cheese it omelets just because they are vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that the fried bologna and sardine sandwich is actually the best pairing. Yes. Yeah. I could see you having some spaghetti with chocolate sauce. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was going to say that, but I could see it happening. Of the three of us, if someone's going to eat that, it's going to be you. It's just like chocolate on a carb. can't be that bad. See? Right, Emily? But I feel like it would look really gross, and I'm grossed out by that. Yeah, but if you didn't look at it, if you just, yeah, you could do it. It would look like (laughs) worms or something. Well, but why doesn't spaghetti look like worms? Because it's in red sauce, not like... Brown sauce looks like dirt. Oh, I see. <sighs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We're, wait, were we going to do the rap? I mean, I feel like we have to do the rap. The Pike kids do a rap. Okay. Um. <laughs> Emily, you really won't do it for us. You just, can you do like a meowing beat? Yeah, I'll, I'll meow <laughs> on occasion. Oh, okay. You're, you're like the, the girls in the background of the video. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's like the, yeah, she's like the orchestral hit, but she's just yeah. saying like, meow, meow. Yeah. What page is it on us? It's on page 46. Okay. So I think that one of us should do the rap and the other should sing Miss Mary Mac. And then Emily just kind of meows. That's what okay. was happening in the Pike house. Oh, so we're supposed to do the whole, like, just the cacophony of pikeness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm indifferent. Do you want to do Miss Mary Mac or the rap? I'll do Miss Mary Mac. I feel like you're good at raps. <laughs> so true. Okay. <laughs> Famously. No one has ever said that. <laughs> and no one shall ever say it again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to engage in the in the same. I'm reenacting the Pike family's cultural appropriation. It's fantastic. Okay. Okay. Ready? Count us uh, off. No, I'm not ready. Okay. Meow. 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 We're the rapid Pikes and we're Miss here Mary, to say we're Mac, hip, we're deaf, Mac, we're cool in every way. I'm Byron. I'm Jordan. Well, I'm Adam. I'm Rick. We'll have to do just Back. Back, meow. That's There's pretty good. Lyrics. There's more lyrics. That's, I think it's that's not going to sound good recorded <laughs> when we all talk at the same time. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. Um, anyway, is there candy? There's no candy. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, what about tallies? <laughs> fine. The girls do agree, though, that there's no cooler guy than Jordan P. Um, we got one almond, one sophisticated, and one individual. Not a lot of. Not a lot of tropes. You mean two almonds? (laughs) It's it's not a visual media, man. Our listeners don't know that you were just pointing at your own eyes. Surely they can assume. Yeah. Um, What were your favorite lines? 
Well, the first line is kind of long for a yeah, know, for an episode so title. Though. Deep dark secret. Um, um, there's a lot of Claire stuff that is cute. Mm-hmm. Do you have a fave? Um, I liked a Bubaka hut. What? <laughs> it says Jordan says she's a tropical nut, and Claire says a Bubaka hut. Oh boy, it makes you're no really, sense. You're really a sucker for Claire. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, so cute. Cat, rat, fat, hat, Claire was one of our episode yeah. titles previously. <laughs> so, uh, are you saying Claire is too lowbrow? No, I just for our very highbrow podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. There, I there weren't a lot. You can tell it's not an Anna and Martin book because there weren't yeah. a lot of like random constructions. Mm-hmm. I liked when Uncle Joe pulled out the hot sauce, but um, that's not like a line. I mean, we can just say pretend we're horses. That's pretty good. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. What are we going to pizza toast to? Also I'm- pretending we're horses. <laughs> <laughs> That's something we'll have to do when we finally have our Stuck in Stony Brook retreat. We can all play horses As we says, we just have to put our little arms up like this. And yeah, exactly. You gallop your little about, gallop around. You, gallop. Yeah. you guys know how to gallop. It's not hard. And occasionally you throw in a nay. There you go. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be a cat. You guys can be horses. Uh, okay, Melody. Cool. Um, so, pizza toast, artichokes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but also, we didn't even talk about what the artichokes went with, which is also a classic delicious food. English muffin pizzas. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's true. Classic delicious food. <laughs> there was also a salad. I know. Yeah. I would eat that meal right now. <laughs> Actually, I'm hungry. <laughs> I would really like an artichoke right now. All right. <laughs> Should we eat, well, pizza toast or artichokes and English muffin? Muffin pizza. You have to say it a little faster than that, I think. <laughs> okay. But to both foods, not just one. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Pizza toast or artichokes and English muffin pizzas. To artichokes and English muffin pizzas. English muffin pizza toast. Oh, that was good. Damn it. That was this like one. a Wheel of Fortune thing. Okay. <laughs> all the like yeah. ones that go together yeah English muffin pizza pizza toast yeah mm-hmm. I see I see what you did there this episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned thank you to Anna and Martin for everything this episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Salar Khan you can find her work and hire her at propodcastediting.net theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller performed by the band Kid Kit you can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. You can also join us on Patreon for bonus content at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash stuckinstonybrook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. 